This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Every day we wake up to scores of emails in our inboxes. But how many of those emails do we actually read versus the amount that end up in our trash folder? How can marketers better differentiate their emails to avoid being lost in the cluttered inbox? Melissa Sargent is the CMO of Litmus, and on this episode of Marketing Trends, she discusses all things email, including strategies to prevent your messages from ending up in those garbage cans. Plus, she discusses what the best email construction looks like. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we are joined by special guest, Melissa. What's going on? Very happy to be here. Thank you so much, Ian. Happy to have you on the show. Today, we are going to be talking about everything that is going on at Litmus. And we're going to talk about the multiple CMO roles in your career. So let's get into it. How did you get started in marketing in the first place? I had a very unintentional um, path into marketing. Uh, My education is actually in political science. And so I started on the agency side, really in more of a public affairs slash PR agency. And just, I loved the issues part of it, but didn't really, you know, once I got into it, I realized I didn't want to spend my life doing fundraisers, you know, three and four times a week. So I started gravitating more towards the the corporate clients. And from there, took my first job in a technology company called ComSat that's now part of Lockheed Martin in their corporate communications area and just moved my way up. I've I've done hard time in pretty much every facet of marketing. So I, you know, I did corporate communications, I did investor relations, I did marketing communications. And then I spent the longest time in my career at CA Technologies in product marketing. And that was really formative for me. And I think that's why I ended up becoming a CMO because product marketing was really the center of how they executed go-to-market there. So you interfaced with pretty much every part of the company and got to drive that forward. And I was really fortunate and that I got to work in multiple different business units throughout my career at at CA and really prepped me uh, to become a CMO and and lead marketing organizations. Uh, From there, I went to Avalara. Um, One of the, I came in and worked for some of the business units within Avalara. I had a lot of experience from my time at CA Technologies with acquisitions. And at the time, Avalara was acquiring some different businesses and they needed marketing to happen within those three businesses. Um, After I left Avalara, I took my first CMO role at Channel Advisor, which is an e-commerce platform provider and wasn't even really looking for a new job. Uh, But when the recruiter called and said, hey, I'm looking for referrals for Channel Advisor, they're looking for a new CMO. And I said, wait, that's a great company. They're in e-commerce and they work with Amazon and Google. I'm not going to give you any names. You know, I want that job. So I was there for three years really to drive pipeline um, and top line revenue growth. I'm very much of a science-led marketer and and very much of a revenue marketer at this point in my career. 
and then left Channel Advisor to go to Sugar CRM and really drive a marketing transformation. The company had been acquired by Excel KKR and was on a new growth path and doing acquisitions there as well. And, you know, much like when I went to Channel Advisor, I wasn't looking to, to leave uh, Sugar, but I got a call from uh, Eric Nirenberg, my, my, our CEO here at Litmus. And, uh, you know, I, I really couldn't say no to the opportunity because, you know, with 30 years in technology, I've marketed everything from network and systems, operations management, I've marketed security management, you know, IT governance, sort of all of these different areas. And the opportunity to come and market for a company that helps people in my job uh, was, too, was just too good for me to pass up. So I've been here about uh, eight months now. And for those of our listeners who don't know, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about Litmus? Sure. We basically help marketers make their email marketing better and get more from their email marketing than they thought possible. And there's a few different ways that we do this. We look at email marketing really in three different areas in terms of the first is really the pre-send process. So think of that as all as where all the heavy lifting happens in email marketing. So you're building, you're coding, you're designing, you're testing, you're getting reviews and approvals. We let you do that in a very streamlined and centralized way. Typically, um, marketers will have to bounce in and out of different applications and systems to do that work. We give them one place to do that from start to finish. And probably the heaviest lift there is around, and what Litmus has been known for for 15 years, is around testing and email previews. So if you think about, you know, before you hit send on an email, you have to test it across just a plethora of devices, browsers, and historically the way that marketers have done this is, you know, Ian, you would have your iPhone and I would say, hey, I'm going to send you this email. Can you look at it on your iPhone and on your desktop and make sure you do these browsers? With the span of browsers and devices and operating systems, it becomes a math problem that's just untenable for marketers to try to do that in a manual way and really, really taxing on, on the business. We enable them to do all of that work right within the list litmus system so that you can just see on one screen and know with confidence that when you hit send, that that email is going to go out and be received and be flawless the way you, you want it to be. The second area is really around post-send analytics. So we've moved in marketing well beyond opens and clicks. And it's, you know, it's, it's important to understand you know, when somebody opened something, how long they spent reading it what they did with it afterwards, so that really your email program becomes this journey of continuous improvement. And you can harvest those insights to make the, the next mail, email even better than that. And really the third piece links directly into that, and that's around looking at email, we call it email first at Litmus, making email the center of, of your marketing mix. Because the fantastic insights that you can get from your email analytics, you can actually pull into the rest of your marketing mix. So if a specific piece of content is working really well in email and you see a certain segment of customers who or your subscribers who are reacting to it, you can take that and apply it in your paid media strategy to get better engagement on that side of the house. So really from an entire email optimization lifecycle, we give you one place to do all that work. So we talk about 
you know, email marketing a lot on this show. Obviously, uh, our amazing sponsors, uh, you know, Salesforce Marketing and, and Marketing Cloud. And I know that you all have an integration with them. Um, but just broadly, like, where do you think the state of email marketing is right now? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting time and and email. And I I think um, you know, email we've had seen an increase year over year. We do a lot of uh, research around, you know, email usage and how companies are using that. Now with everything that's happening in the world around us, you know, that's gone to, you know, a whole different level because it's really become, you know, in some cases we had a few weeks there where that was the primary way that brands could communicate with their customers or subscribers and their, their prospects. And I think, you know, it's really becoming very entrenched in the overall marketing mix in that, you know, it's key to so many other things that we do on the marketing side of the house, um, whether, you know, you're running webinars, whether you're in a business that does B2C in terms of conversion for, for driving conversion, ultimately sales. It really has become a centerpiece of, of every marketing, every marketer strategy and how they execute today. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I mean, it feels like, um, it feels like email was so important and then everybody got away from it. And then, uh, you know, now everybody realizes how important it is, um, to, you know, own a, own a database, to have a list of subscribers, to speak, you know, directly to them. But at the same time, it's like, there's just so much noise. Um, and it's so difficult to, to, you know, separate and, you know, email is set up such that it's the same amount of real estate per person, right? So it doesn't matter if it's a spam email or if it's a super important one. Um, And then obviously, you know, the many trials and tribulations that come with uh, getting put into spam or getting put into the promotions folder, all those things, which is now mostly made for the decisions made for you. It, it, it increases the level of complexity uh, to stand out and just to, to, to deliver it in the first place, right? Yes. And, you know, it's interesting is, you know, um, when, when you look at historically what marketers have done when we've had, you know, whether we've been in recessions or a decline, and, you know, often marketing budgets are, are you know, uh, are the first things to get trimmed back when companies need to tighten their belts a bit. And the first place marketers will go is their database because they're like, hey, we've been investing in this. I'm going to focus in on, on the database and cultivating those relationships that, that, um, that we already have. The challenge now is there's been, you know, the volume has been so high um, and, there's been, I think, a lot of sameness in the the messages that, that were coming out, particularly, you know, right after COVID-19 really hot, you know, got to a very heated point. Um, and so people's inboxes certainly were overrun with a lot of those COVID-19 messages, which may or may not, depending on the type of business that was reaching out to you, been relevant for, you know, how you needed to engage with them. Um, you know, if it was a retail store, obviously you would know that you're, you know, not going to be going there. But if it's your favorite, you know, local restaurant that's transitioning to takeout, you might want to understand a little bit more about what they're doing to protect you um, to to continue to earn your business. Yeah. And, you know, it's an important piece um, to get right is the actual input. And we've we've had discussions on the podcast you know, recently about whether it's advertising or whether it's uh, email um, or any type of content is there is kind of this 
disease of more happening where it's like, well, let's just get more. And like, oh, well, if, you know, if we need to get three tweets a day is what overall gets us more aggregate performance, then we need to optimize for three tweets a day or, you know, we need to send one email a day or we need to send, you know, post one blog post a day because like that's what the data is telling us performs better. Um, then you kind of have this race to the bottom to make uh, to make bad stuff. Ultimately, email is just a tool to deliver the message, right? The medium is the message. Um, so how do you think marketers uh, need to reframe uh, their decision-making around what to actually put in the emails? It really needs to be part of your overall content marketing strategy and look at what, you know, what you're trying to do from a content uh, perspective. And then I think also things like, you know, that we're, that we know as marketers that sometimes I think we get a little sloppy with um, around email, which is around segmentation. Um, we've been talking about personalization and, and email marketing for a long time, but really understanding those segments and personas and only sending them content and um, that's truly in messages that are truly relevant to, to what they're trying to do and is, is actually something that they, they want to receive from you. If they become accustomed to you just sending them generalized content that's not relevant, you know, over time, even if you do send them something that they should definitely take a look at and is highly relevant, they're likely to skip over it. So it's really, really understanding your segments, personas, and tailoring that personalization and the message to the people that you're actually trying to communicate with. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. What are some of the ways that um, that you do that? I mean, that's like, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard the old adage about writing where it's like, um, there's no such thing as writer block, writer's block. You just need to read more. I feel like that's always the thing with, um, with, with writing, uh, you know, blog posts and things like this is if you can't figure out what to say, then you need to talk to your customers more. You need to talk to prospect prospects more. You need to listen more so that then you it can inform what you're doing. And I think that a lot of what happens with email marketing is again, it's you're you're becoming a upholdent to your content calendar because that's the easiest way to do things rather than you know focusing your way backward from like what should we be talking about. No, absolutely. And I think that's part why it's so important to really go beyond after, you you know, it doesn't end when you hit send. That's really the beginning of this journey with um, uh, your audience and your subscribers. And so that when you send something out, look beyond the clicks and opens. And sometimes I think in email marketing, because so much work happens up front and it can take organizations, you know, some organizations, depending on how they're set up, it can take them easily four weeks to get out a single email. By the time it gets out the door, they just want to know, you know, who clicked and who opened, and then they've kind of moved on from that. When really that's, you know, those are just, they're not even, they're so basic. They're not even basic anymore. They really need to understand, you know, what time of day that person was reading that, what they did with it, how long they spent reading it, and actually take those insights and apply it into their program so that they can continuously improve and provide better personalization, better relevancy, better content, and to truly understand what people care about and only feed them that kind of content uh, through their email marketing program. Uh, and it's really a, you know, a total life cycle approach. But I think it just because of the nature of 
the function within a lot of companies that that area often gets, um, you know, cut off before the, the work is complete. We talked about it a little bit, um, the pre-send phase. Um, so talk me through like what this pre-send phase is and why it's so important. Yeah, it's often, you know, it's really the most labor intensive part of the entire email process because that's where you do uh, your design, uh, you do your writing, you do your development and coding, you do your internal reviews. And depending on how your organization is structured and how many people on you have in your organization, you may need to have 10 people review your emails who are completely outside of marketing. Uh, and uh, companies tend to do this kind of in a manual way. They might send, you know, a PDF and an email to somebody and, and trying to manage all of that, that feedback becomes really cumbersome. And the last piece that we talked a little bit about that, the testing and making sure that when you hit send, that you know with confidence that that email is going to arrive and it's going to be flawless, error-free and, and delivered exactly the way you want to, because that's very much, you know, a lot of times that's the face of your organization. So if it, you know, we've all received, you know, nobody wants to send the oops, we made a mistake email after it goes out. I think most of us have received a few of those at, at this point. By centralizing all of that work, driving the collaboration, making sure the testing is really thorough, you really set yourself up for success in a very good, you know, email send. Also, you, the most, I think that a lot of companies that we hear from our customers is it just really shrinks the time that they're spending in that process. If it takes you four weeks to get out a single email with your current process, you probably should have that shrink down to, you know, a week. And a lot of it is to do with, you know, the problems that I talked about in terms of disparate systems, bouncing in and out of different systems, depending on what your reviews are. If you have to go to 10 different people and send 10 different emails and try to uh, consolidate their feedback uh, from those 10 different emails, that's time consuming. And of course, the testing process is very, very time consuming. So you can actually, with Litmus, you can collaborate in one place and do all of your work and ensure that those emails go out as best as poss they possibly can. So... I personally am, as our listeners know, like a bit of a, a purist when it comes to emails uh, or a minimalist, I yep. guess. I think that like so much email content is like way overblown, way too much graphic, way too much, um, way too many links, way too many calls to action. Uh, I think so much of it is built off of like getting people off of the email, um, which is something funny to me. And I think like, if you look at some of the best newsletters, like Seth Godin's, for example, right. yep. so often you read his newsletter and you never click out and he doesn't care. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you know, when, by the time he actually asks you for things, uh, he's earned it. And I, I just feel like there's so much because we got templates, because we got all this stuff that it's just emails have now, blown up in complex in complexity. And I think that they're my my kind of thought on this is that, you know, you'll see a return to some simplicity. Um, because I think that we got all the bells and whistles. And then now, you know, it's like we we wanted to use them all. Um, like for example, I got an email today from a B2B company 
that really they were just trying to promote a webinar. Like that's, that's what they were trying to do. And it was like three clicks to get to the thing and all this sort of stuff. And like all, it's just like all of this craziness and, um, and so much confusion, so much, like, I don't even know why they're sending this thing. And it's like, just give me the insights of the webinar. Right. Do you, do you want me to attend the webinar or do you want me to just get the information that you want me to learn? You know? And I think that that's part of the problem with the state of email right now. Again, it goes back to like, we build it as marketers to the way that we can track and look at things rather than like how the end user is, you know, is consuming this thing. Um, and like email marketing is not a tool in your marketing arsenal to uh, sell more stuff. It's a tool to communicate with your prospects and customers things that are helpful to them. And like, I just think that that shift in mindset forces you to reconsider like, do we need to send blank, blank or blank? And then now there's like all these series of rules around like, well, we can't send an email this much. Like we had this problem with uh, with promoting a podcast, uh, you know, a handful of weeks ago where it's like, oh, well, we can't schedule that for, uh, you know, for six more weeks. It's like the episode is live right now, today. You're telling me that you can't work into your email infrastructure that an email from your C or a podcast episode with your CEO doesn't go to your audience? Like, then what are we doing here, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, you said it before, it was perfectly is like, you have to start with, you know, what's the message that you're trying to communicate? What are you hoping that that person who receives it on the other side is going to, to do with it? And we see the same thing too. And uh, all the emails that, that, that go out through litmus and, and we look at the system and, you know, the ones that are the most successful don't always have all the G whiz bang uh, stuff. Often it's just like Seth's. It's funny that you mentioned him because I was thinking about him today. Like, you know, Seth just sends me this little paragraph every day and I read every single word and it looks like it was, you know, typed out on an IBM Selectrics or something. Um, and that really at the core of this is the message. It's the personalization. It's the information that you're sharing with them to, to help them engage and that, you know, uh, a lot of times that's going to perform better for you than a super heavy graphical thing with, you know, that's got movement or, or has a video embedded somewhere that, uh, and also in terms of content, you know, we know that less is more, right? It, it, it sounds like when you were trying to get through your webinar invite today, you just wanted to understand like, okay, what are the three things I'm going to, are going to be my takeaways from this webinar? that less content and get right to the point as quickly as you possibly can is better. Now, in some industries, like, you know, if you're talking retail or e-commerce, if you're actually using it as a vehicle to convert people to go and buy a pair of shoes, you might want to have, you know, a carousel with those shoes so that somebody can, you know, click to buy it and go through that journey. But you really have to start with the message and what your intent is for the person who's receiving that email and what you're expecting them to do with it next. Yeah, it's a great point that goes back to the utility of why you're sending in the first place. And like when um, I, I used as an example in a previous episode about um, like Zillow and Redfin are perfect examples of like email done exactly for the utility, right? It's like a new house just came on the market. So they email you that like in your search parameters that a new house is on the market. So it's an auto open 
because you're like, oh, I'm exactly looking for this. This is something that I'm looking for. And they have an advantage in that way. Um, in that, you know, that's that's the market that they're in. But that's a brilliant use of email marketing because it's giving you something, it's like providing you some information that you don't know, uh, and it's helping you figure that out, right? And so like, even though I get tons of emails from Zillow and Redfin, um, I'm, I never really feel spammed from them because so many of them are actually providing, you know, valuable info. Product launches and things like that, you know, are definitely interesting to people, whether it's like, you know, hey, the spring catalog or, or whatever it is. Um, but I think the problem is that, and maybe you could speak to this as like, you know, if you are in e-commerce or something and you have all of the, uh, you know, okay, BOGO today or, you know, uh, some sort of discount or, you know, Labor Day sale or whatever, we know that those work, but at what cost do they work, right? Because now you have Gmail saying like, hey, you haven't, op- you haven't opened an email from this person in uh, in a month. Um, so, should we cut this thing off? You know, so I, I think that there's a give and take there where it's like, if it's always leading with buy one, get one, then you're not necessarily going to kind of build a relationship with the audience over time. Or maybe you are, I don't know. I, I don't know what you've seen from from the platform. No, absolutely. You know, you, you have to really gauge, you know, when too much is too much. And, you know, even in our own internal practices at Litmus, that's one thing that we're really, really protective of is our subscribers and realizing, you know, how many emails did we send them that are just, you know, purely email best practices. And we know we want that that's the kind of content that they love from us and that they're going to consume that. Whereas, you know, there's, you know, a new, some new stuff coming out about the product or there's some specific promotion or something that else that we want them to do or to attend Um, Our Litmus Live Everywhere conference, we're very, very protective of that because it can easily, as you know, you've said, kind of become um, just, you know, you just scan past it. You're not going to to click on that if if you're getting, you know, five BOGO emails from a vendor over two weeks, you're probably after a while just not even going to look at it. So you really have to be really strategic in terms of how you push that content out, who's received it. And really understand uh, what folks have responded to it in the past, understanding which subscribers actually engaged with that type of content, what was the topic, how long did they spend with it, and optimize going forward for the next send so that you truly are, just like your experience with Zillow, receiving content that's highly relevant, that you've opted into, that's something that you want to know about, rather than just treating um, sort of one size fits none for your email strategy. Totally. And I think it's like a lot of crap in crap out, right? Is because folks don't have any information on their people. Uh, so then they don't have any ways to to help them through the kind of journey. Whereas you see the best folks, it's like, hey, if I bought like a boat propeller from West Marine, West Marine can now send me stuff that's like, hey, you know, five tips for a new boat owner or, you know, you know, five, uh, places to go in the world with your, you know, fun new boat or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Um, but I think that a lot of times, you know, folks obviously have like robust CRMs like Salesforce or, or whatever, they're trying to figure out how to, uh, get more information and data on people so that they can then deliver that, those relevant things. Obviously, data is key to a lot of this, 
Um, you know, how do you see data shaping what the future of uh, of email marketing looks like? Yeah, it's really the 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 core piece of that, right? I think a lot of marketers have been nervous to go all in on personalization because they didn't have great confidence in the data that they have and they were afraid of of making a, a mistake. And so really, you know, having clean data that doesn't have duplicates, that's up to date, and you really have to work with, you know, multiple groups within your organization, whether that sits in IT or you have a digital office that or a customer care function within your organization to make sure that 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 your data is truly the duplication is out of it it's up to date that there's a regular process in place to to go ahead and clean that data uh, because i think that's really what's held a lot of marketers back from moving forward more seriously on personalization just because they don't have great trust in and what their data set is uh is available to them and what it's telling them today and then you want to be able to harvest that, not just to make sure that the information is accurate so that if, if I'm sending it to, to Ian, the, the email doesn't go out and say to insert name. It goes out to, to Ian. It's really about what I know about Ian and what I learn about your behavior after you've received that content, what you've done with it, how much time you spent with it, uh, other areas that you've expressed interest or if there's certain topic areas that are more interesting to you where you've engaged more than other areas and being able to apply that to provide truly meaningful personalization be beyond getting somebody's first and last name correct. Yeah, I mean, just getting my first name correct is uh, is half of the battle. <laughs> um, for those of us with an I uh, letter name, which looks like a lowercase l. Yes. <laughs> Good old Lan. So what about experimentation? Obviously, you know, I think we get a little stuck in our in our ruts here uh, in email marketing with kind of same old, same old. Um, what are some kind of best practices and things that you've seen from folks experimenting with their marketing, uh, email marketing specifically, or just marketing in general? Yep. I think, you know, in email marketing, we have to, we we've been talking about it a long time, and I don't think it's really experimental. It's just we're not always, I think, because of the amount of work that we have to do in marketing, diligent about truly testing and doing A-B testing to understand, you know, which subject lines work better, what did they engage more, the text-based version, the graphical version, um, and, you know, really doing that, that testing as part of your regular practice. We tend to we'll do it if we have something that's really, really high value um, in terms of understanding what's going to convert. And I think the other area where people drop off a bit is if you have a regular set of emails, whether it's transactional emails or just kind of this regular cadence, they might've tested it the first time they did it, but they didn't, you have to test every single time. You have to know, because just little things can creep in there that can cause you problems and you can end up with an email that goes you know, out the, the door that doesn't get received the way that you certainly want it to. Across marketing, when I look in my organization, and really, it's, this is something I'm very personally very passionate about is really transformation in marketing and taking, you know, a data uh, science-led uh, approach. And so, you know, in my own organization, we've been, you know, making some changes. I'm still kind of new to the, the, the team, but really doing things like more email nurtures based on segmentation, based on personas to help uh, engage people within that life cycle and trying to understand really what pieces of content that they're most interested in from us. 
Um, sometimes I think it's easy if webinars are working really well for you or eBooks are working for you to, you know, just to double down on that when really we should be looking at the marketing mix very holistically and looking at sort of how does this relate to paid media? How does this relate to paid social? And then be able to measure all of those things and optimize the mix. So I think having a culture of experimentation within a marketing department is paramount and that you have to give your team the freedom to try new things. And if they don't work, that's okay. As long as we learn something and we can apply that to the, the next program. Uh, and I think, you know, email can be a, a part of that. We, we definitely see email as extending beyond the realm of email that you can take the insights if you harvest them from your email and apply them to other areas in, in your marketing mix. But I think that really applies across all of the marketing di disciplines in general in terms of having a culture of experimentation and trying a lot of different things. And you really have to, it's a continuous thing. It's not like you go, we're going to, you know, experiment this quarter and then we're going to stop experimenting. You really, we look at our quarterly marketing plans and I, one of the things I'll look for is, all right, what's new this quarter that the next quarter that we didn't do last quarter and how are we going to apply that? That should be baked in. That innovation piece should be baked into like 25% of the plan all the time because there's just so many things that are changing. The market's changing, our customers changing, our world's changing. You need to be constantly trying new things and seeing how they, they work for your organization and then learn and apply that in the, you know, over the next quarter. So I think it's really, really paramount to, to not get comfortable um, uh, with you know, doing things that you know, maybe they worked last year, but you could have tried some new things last year. And when things changed this year, you weren't in a good place to make that, that transformation or, or make that pivot. What about metrics? What are some of the key metrics that you look at to judge success? So we're a B2B software company. So uh, my primary metric that I look at is really pipeline. Um, I mentioned that I'm really science-led, very much of a revenue marketer. So the things that our entire team is measured by isn't, we don't count leads. I mean, we look at that, that's part of our modeling, but nobody gets paid because we generated X number of MQLs they ultimately get paid based on the amount of pipeline that we're able to build for our sales organization and how much of that um, actually converts into bookings. We have two parts of our business. We have a, a traditional sort of direct enterprise sale, and then we have uh, transactions that we um, execute on the, the internet, depending on sort of the organization, how big they are, how many users they, they need. And so there we're looking at things like signups, activations, um, and, and customer lifetime value, um, some, you know, more traditional online metrics there, but it's very much sort of that top level. And then what about uh, for email marketing? Obviously, you know, open rates and click-through rates and stuff have been the gold standard for a long time. Are there any additional metrics that you think are, are insightful? I think so. There's, you know, you want to know, I think, what, how long did that person spend reading it? What time did they read it? Where did it go after they uh, finished it? Did they forward it to somebody that had just stopped? Looking at those kinds of things so that you can get true insights on what caused people to you know, go beyond the initial click and how, what they did with it, how much time they spent with it, and what time of day it was can really go a long way to informing your, your overall strategy and then informing you know, what content is relevant to them if somebody spent a long time 
on that before they uh, before they forwarded it on. You might assume that you know you might be able to infer from that that they were interested in that particular piece of content. Whereas if they opened it and closed it and walked away from it very quickly, it probably wasn't that highly relevant to what they were thinking about at that that time. And to be able to harvest that stuff that goes beyond the, the you know the basic vanity metrics. You've been a CMO a few times. I'm curious, what has changed from the first to the last? What are what are the things that you're doing now that uh, that you didn't do, or, or things that uh, maybe were mistakes in the past that you uh, that you rectified in the in the most recent go around? I think the thing that I didn't understand when I was a first time CMO is I had this misguided assumption that I had to have all of the answers. Um, sitting in that role. And I very quickly realized a fairly large organization that that was just not possible. And it also wasn't good for the organization. So that's, I think, the key learning is that we have to let, you know, our managers, our first line managers, our directors, they're closest to the work and really trust what they're doing we set overall strategy in our role as a CMO, as informed by our teams, but to let them do the work, let them push on me to tell me, hey, we really should be doing these other four things and pulling that all together in a very integrated and orchestrated way that I don't have to know, have to have a readout from you know our, our hundreds and hundreds of Google AdWord campaigns, like every landing page that it goes to. That's not my job to, to, to check that stuff and to feel like I had it, to have an answer for it. So I think that was probably the, the biggest growth opportunity I had from a first time CMO to now you know doing this as my, my third stint as a CMO walking into the role. And I think by understanding that, I felt when I came to Litmus, when you, when you come in, there's always that initial just trying to get your sea legs and, and get to meet everybody and understand what the company is doing at that time and, and where you see some areas that you want to improve or, or change. And I think because I have that initial trust and know that it's okay if I don't have all of the answers here, if this doesn't quite make sense to me, I can still make some good strategic decisions for our organization. I got up to speed much more quickly at um, at Litmus than I have even in the other two roles. I was faster at Sugar when I went there than I was at Channel Advisor, and I think it's because that you know initial desire to dig into everything and to take 800 pages of notes on every conversation that I was able to move past that and listen for different things. What are some of your maybe one or two of your favorite campaigns that you've done in your career uh, or, or some great examples, whether that's email marketing or, or, or just otherwise uh, that you're especially either proud of or, or favorites? So I think, you know, it's, it's funny is I seem to be picking companies where I have to come in and, and redo uh, the website. And that's, you know, a very tactical thing, but I've now rebuilt four different websites from when I was at Avalara, then I went to Channel Advisor and Sugar, and then now we just relaunched uh, uh, launched a new website at, at Litmus. But I've always been really proud of that effort because the time frame that we have to do it in is usually like less than three months. It's super complicated. Everybody really has to come together outside of marketing as well as inside the, the marketing organization. And having gone through that experience, you know, on four different occasions over the last uh, few years, 
uh, as you know, I'm very, very proud of, of that work that all of those teams um, have done because it's a, uh, it's very, very intense. It's very, very stressful. The last three or four weeks right before it's, it's, it's truly 24 seven. And then when you go to flip the switch, everybody's just sitting there kind of holding their breath, hoping everything's going to go okay. And that you don't break too many business processes that day. So I would say definitely the, the website. And then I think the other area, I tend to like the programs. I'm very much of an integrated marketer where I don't get too excited about single programs. I look at the website as something, you know, obviously that has a lot of arms and legs and really feeds the entire program that we're doing. But when I look at product launches from the different companies where I've worked at, I think that's where the company really shines because you do get to see not just the pieces that the marketing team has orchestrated around you know, there's a sales enablement piece that product marketing does. There's some content that the team does. There's some programs for prospects. There's programs for customers. Um, uh, there's programs uh, for, uh, you know, support in terms of enablement. It's one of those times where the entire company comes together in a truly integrated way. And really, the, the product launches are probably my favorite part because I think that's where you really shine the brightest. Okay, let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing built on the world's number one CRM. That is Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. Lightning round questions. Melissa, are you ready? I'm ready. What? habit have you picked up during shelter in place uh is new so for me i have historically i you know seem to be regionally unemployable and that i never work for a company that's actually anywhere near where i live so i spent more than 20 years on the the road so the nice thing about shelter in place is that i've been home and it's a whole new world for me. You know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm getting proper sleep, proper nutrition. I'm able to ride my Peloton bike every day. I'm able to walk my dogs every day. I'm able to have a face-to-face -face conversation with my husband every day. And it's been very enlightening for me in that I realized how much I was missing out on uh, living on, on the road for all of those years. And it's definitely something that when we emerge out of this, I am going to modify my schedule for the long term to get more of this baked in because, um, you know, I'm feeling the best that I've ever been and I haven't, you know, thankfully haven't had any colds or anything. And I usually was, you know, was always kind of sick and tired and just, you know, run down from running from plane to plane and hotel to hotel. Yeah, it's, it's really true. I think that, um, I think it's going to restructure how people think in, in a lot of different ways. Um, but that's really cool to hear because, um, I think that, you know, realizing how to separate work and, and life and how to integrate work and life and all that is always the million dollar question that all of us seek. And this is an experiment that we definitely didn't think we ever needed to run. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, it's going to have a lot of, a lot of ramifications there. And it's cool to hear that, uh, I definitely agree the plane to plane jumping is 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 a tough life that is for sure 
Do you have a uh, favorite or maybe hidden talent or passion? I'm pretty good in the, the kitchen. And so I've had lots of opportunities recently to do that. So much so that I'm actually kind of sick of my own food now. But the first 30 days, I was all in and, and cooking every different uh, meal I could think of. But I do love that. I think there's something very comforting and just relaxing about preparing a nice meal and just kind of having some music on and, and chilling at, at home. I'm very much um, of an introvert. I realize like in my job, I have to talk to people all day and I'm cool with that. But when, at, when the day is, comes to a close, I, I really do enjoy sort of quiet, decompressing, chilling out and, and just, you know, relaxing. Favorite Peloton instructor? Ali Love. And I have, and I have Love Squad wear to, to back it up. Uh, I just, I think she's fantastic. All the instructors are really great. I take a different one every single day to, to mix it up. But when it's Ali Love Day, I'm super excited. And I always plan my milestone rides in hopes of getting a shout out from her. If you weren't a CMO, what would you be doing? I think I would probably, I was pretty good at math and science and I don't know why I didn't understand that that would have taken me in different directions. So I could see myself as like a physical therapist or, you know, in nursing or in medicine in, in some way. Um, I think I would have, I think I would have done well in that, that area. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? I don't get asked very often, like said, how was somebody who studied political science, like how did you find your way into to marketing um, from, from that? And we talked a little bit about that on my journey. Um, but I think it's interesting because a lot of the people that I work with in marketing, there's a fair amount of people who are English majors or communications majors. They might have been marketing majors or they did something in data and science and have, you know, come along the analytical path. But there, I do have one person on my team who's a political science major. And when I was interviewing at Litmus, she, you know, mentioned that uh, to me, because there's just not that many of us who have, end up finding our way into to marketing. Well, that's it. That's all we got for today. Thanks so much for joining. Any, uh, any final thoughts? No, um, it's just really been great to, to talk to you. And I appreciate the opportunity and, you know, love the, the great content that you have. Um, and so I've, I've definitely been listening a lot the last few weeks. I'm, I'm looking forward to even learning more from you. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Um, and thanks for, thanks for joining. We appreciate it. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic.
The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.